I am also an ardent supporter of environmental protection. We humans are the only species with the power to destroy the earth as we know it. Yet, if we have the capacity to destroy the earth, so too do we have the capacity to protect it. That's a quote from the Dalai Lama. There's this book that was written in conjunction with an author, and it's called Our Only Home, An Appeal to the World, basically, about the climate. Okay. And that's the opening line from the book. And I thought it would be a good introduction to today's episode on... Climate change! Woo! <laughs> that quote, I mean, I don't want to criticize your, your quote choice, but it's a bit... What? It doesn't really say much, does it? It's a bit kind of sitting on the fence of it. I don't want to critique the Dalai Lama either, but he's, he's a bit a bit wishy-washy with that one, I think. Well, I mean, there's a whole book to follow that. Okay, okay, but it's, it's true, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, humans have impacted the climate and we can save it. And in the next hour, mm-hmm. we're going to describe how. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, two years ago, we started a podcast about climate change and then have never covered climate change. Yes. Not because we didn't cover climate change, but because it's such a huge topic, which stretches into every aspect of the human experience. You're right. It, it made more sense to, to tackle it each week by examining the life of J.R. Tolkien mm-hmm. or Animal Crossing. Yeah. I'm not even speaking ironically there. Like it, yeah. that's, that made more sense to us rather than it seemed a bit too on the nose and maybe a bit, maybe not even in our wheelhouse so much to take a whole hour to discuss it. And sometimes... I don't know, weirdly, I find this is the topic I'm the least articulate on mm-hmm. because I it's an emotional topic. So yes. sometimes when you're a little bit frenzied and upset and passionate, it can be tough to speak clearly. But I guess we're going to do our best. Yes. Also, I feel like I'll speak for myself. My brain is probably like, you know, those pie charts, like 70% of it is occupied with just like facts, case studies, personal anecdotes about climate change. So trying to condense it even like into a conversation is challenging. Yeah. And I'll be mainly speaking from memory. I tried to take notes, but it just got too overwhelming. That's a good point. That's a good point about kind of the messiness about we're both kind of sustainability students. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a lot to squeeze in. So we're going to start with a little section called science. Science. And I'm going to start with some statistics that I looked up. I think I'm going to call these the nasty nine. Okay. Kind of sounds a bit like a Tarantino movie, but mm-hmm. it's kind of just nine topics. I thought I want to have a statistic for each of these. Mm-hmm. Some of them are symptoms of climate change. Some of them are kind of like climate change adjacent environmental issues of their own. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with biodiversity because we're in the fifth mass extinction. Yes. So I took a course on biodiversity in my last semester at university. And the main takeaway is that data is very muddy. Mm. But even from the most muddy to the least muddy and the most pessimistic to the least pessimistic biodiversity scientists are all pretty much in agreement that the rate of extinction currently, all creatures, Mm -hmm. is roughly 100 to 1,000 times higher than it should be, which is the the healthy background rate of extinction, Mm -hmm. which sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but it exists. Mm -hmm. I think hitting these rapid fire makes sense just to kind of start the episode on a really positive note. Okay. So the next one is ocean acidification. Mm-hmm. That's currently, the pH of the ocean is currently changing at a rate approximately 50 times higher than the historical average. Mm-hmm. Deforestation, 
I was trying to find the most kind of radical sounding quote for this one. Yes. So the earth has approximately 50% less trees than we did before the start of agriculture. Okay. Which I realize is a long time ago. Yeah. But when you think that's like the earth in its most, nature in its most pristine form, mm. it makes sense. So we've about halved it. Yes. C'est pas bien. That's not good. Um, the next one is permafrost. Okay. So there's approximately 1,400 gigatons of carbon in the Arctic permafrost. Mm -hmm. And the permafrost is melting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the carbon is? Rising. Yeah. The next is waste slash plastic waste. There's about 8 million tons of ocean plastic annually. Ah, okay. This is a one that I think often gets forgotten. Pollution, as in air pollution. Mm. The health concern is that there's approximately 6 million annual deaths that can be attributed to air pollution. Annual deaths. Yeah. Yeah. Um, COVID's <laughs> killed less than 5 million people. Population. In the year 1800, there were about a billion people on the earth. Mm. In 2021, there's almost 8 billion, 7.9 billion. Yeah. Storms. Natural disasters have increased about by about a factor of five in the last 50 years. Mm. This one's a bit messy. I was trying to find a quote on this, but all I could find was projections. Yeah. Like, oh, storms could get this bad. Droughts could get this bad in the next few decades. Mm -hmm. And as I think I'll touch on later, I'm not a big fan of projections like that. So I was trying to find what's been happening. I so mean, concretely... Forest fires, the season lasts about 20% longer. Yes. Yeah, than like normal. Okay, and the last one is about farming. And this is not really related to climate change so much, although I guess it is. But we've had whole episodes talking about it because it's just a stat that blows my mind every time. About one third of the arable land on earth is used for farm feed and about a quarter is used for grazing mm. of animals. Yeah. That just, it's so inefficient. It's shockingly inefficient. And obviously, as we know, meat, cattle, methane, greenhouse, all these words. Are related <laughs> to climate change. Yes. So what is climate change, Aaron? It's all of those things you just listed, all of those nine, the terrible nine? The nasty nine. The nasty nine. It's alliterative. Oh, yes. Um, but it's so much more. People think climate change and global warming are the same thing because of the marketing basically global warming was a term coined in around the 70s and people were saying temperatures are rising global warming's happening and then there was obviously all of the conflict around well some places it's actually getting cooler and then it was corrupted and then climate change came in as a new word or like a new commonly used term to describe the global conditions which are changing and it's been mildly less corrupted, but it encompasses so much more than global warming. It includes the increase in natural disasters, ocean acidification, El Nino, species extinction, deforestation, just like all of the things that are changing in our climates. Like there's nowhere on earth that is untouched by, like nowhere is just in the condition that it was 300 years ago. Mm. Everywhere has changed because pollution doesn't have borders. It's not like, oop. Pollution Without Borders, that'd be a good group. Yeah. <laughs> I think our demographic, even if this is their first episode listening to the environmental podcast, probably doesn't need climate change explained to them, the mechanics mm -hmm. of it. So let's not bore them with that. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> Do you have any other science that you wanted to mention? There's just some things like perhaps people don't understand, well, why is land, why are landfills so bad? Or like, okay. 
how does ocean acidification work? So one thing that I always wondered, I was like, well, obviously garbage dumps aesthetically, you just know that garbage dumps are bad. It's like we should be recycling, we should be wasting less, producing less waste, period. And it's just like, I knew that. I knew that it was bad. But you kind of wonder why, like, it uses land, it smells bad. But it's just literally, like, people who live near garbage dumps just tend to have way higher rates of cancer. Water is almost always just infected with, like, arsenic and really nice chemicals like that. Because when you throw things into the dump, they are usually in these anaerobic conditions, so there's no oxygen getting to them because they're piled under tons and tons of other waste. So they're breaking down in these really wonky conditions, and then methane's produced, and then the chemicals from like the plastic or from even like the egg cartons are like seeping into the ground, and then it goes somewhere. Usually there's underground water reserves, and then the chemicals get into those, and then we drink them. Because our water in a lot of the West is treated, but it's not treated as much as you may think. And yeah, so it's like why garbage dumps are bad. And then my only other thing that I wanted to mention was how the ocean sequesters carbon. Because you might think, oh, it's pretty good that we have so much water sequestering carbon from right. the atmosphere. Yeah. But it's like because we are producing more carbon, the phytoplankton are consuming it, doing photosynthesis, and then they're eaten by other aqua life, which then obviously as, so say a little shrimp eats some phytoplankton, but then a bigger fish eats the shrimp and then so on and so on. Because the bigger fish has to eat about 20 shrimp, it's eating like a million phytoplankton, and then there's a ton of carbon just in these big fish, and they die, and they float to the bottom of the sea, and they kind of break down and make up the sea soil and then the bacteria who live down there eat it. And then they pump carbon or like breathe out carbon the way we do. Yeah. And then it's in the oceans. And then it makes the pH change and then makes it acidic. That's a really good example of how emissions can just completely destroy ecosystems. Yeah. Which is, of course, the big fear, just total ecosystem collapse. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned carbon sinks there. That's also relevant with deforestation because something I like mm -hmm. to hear people tout is that oh the earth tree has more trees than it did 20 years ago or 30 years mm -hmm. ago which may be true but not all trees are equal yeah if you can imagine some really big redwood old growth forest tree mm -hmm. is not the same as a newly planted sapling or something yeah they're both technically one tree but i mean think about the carbon stored in each mm -hmm. and i think the carbon sequestration and the carbon cycle is just one of the most beautiful examples of nature like it, yeah mathematically mm -hmm. everything just works so well in balance mm -hmm. and it's also i think one of the simpler illustrations of how of how humans cause things to go awry because mm -hmm. it's like for millennia there's this, this wonderful balance between things which store carbon release them and then mm -hmm. store them again and then when humans start interfering let's say mm -hmm. that just throws things off balance exactly because, of course, there are some people who don't believe in anthropogenic climate change. Yeah, some people say, we're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, and kind of similarly to how I think we'd be preaching to the choir if we talked about greenhouse gases mm -hmm. to our audience, I don't know if there's that much point. I mean, just in, in the wider discourse, I'm kind of tired about hearing of climate change deniers and people who just 
don't trust science or anything like that. I mean, mm -hmm. that said, we did have a little myth busting section. Yeah. We need to equip our listeners for when they're faced with people who say climate change isn't real. Sure. But I'll just preface by saying if someone said that to me, I would just ignore them because I think for the most part, they're just lost causes. I know possible, that's kind yeah. of negative, but I, I mean, just think about the amount of money and effort which has been put into cause dissent and misinformation mm -hmm. and politicization in kind of like when introducing global warming and now climate change to the general public. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of interested in that word politicization because you hear it all the time today with the vaccine and with COVID. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, how, how has science become so politicized? Mm -hmm. But I had this thought, which is people say that about almost everything now. It's like, why is this politicized? And this mm -hmm. is, I mean, there's almost nothing that isn't. Yeah. But it's kind of like, it makes sense to me. If you're a political party, why wouldn't you want everything to be politicized? Mm -hmm. Because it's kind of, I think, I don't know if this is a term, but we hear about late stage capitalism all the time. I think what we're in right now might also perhaps be able to be described as late stage politics, mm -hmm. where it's like mass media and the internet and this kind of rapid transference of information and hive minds and misinformation and just a general kind of like atomization of the individual has turned politics into something which is not really close to politics whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's more like a lifestyle. When you think about it, food is politicized, mm. transport is politicized, sport is politicized, culture itself, language. Mm. So it, it makes sense that climate change as being a part of all those is, is politicized. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I know what you mean. You always say though, like you'd say, you would just like not listen to them, but then you say, also I might just make the aesthetic point of like, you can't deny that trees are being cut down. Like no one's out here, like no one's a deforestation denier. Like they know the trees are being cut down. Well, yeah, that was okay. So this was um, my first misconception or my first myth busting. Okay. So it's kind of like, okay, I'll play the climate denier and you can play the, okay. like the scientist. So I'm going to say temperature data and like emissions data and see carbon in the atmosphere data is too incomplete and inconclusive and there's no real trends and you don't know what you're talking about. And your okay. projections are always wrong. Okay. Or I'm going to say climate change is natural. You know, that's always been happening through, mm. hi through history. This is no different. Yeah. Then I would say, it's hard. I would have to know the person perhaps. I would say something along the lines of, have you noticed the winters are getting a lot milder or something like that? Or just something personal to them of like, oh, isn't it so annoying how like there's no trees along the highway anymore or it's something like personal to them, which yeah. they can just see and can't deny. The trees, yes. With the with the winters, I would never mention that because I think they just say, oh, that's weather, you know, weather yeah, changes. Yeah, I suppose. No? So I would not bring up temperature, CO2, emissions, weather, climate, mm -hmm. numbers remotely because they're just going to deny it. Mm -hmm. So I think with those people, if you have to engage with them, and I don't think we do, Mm -hmm. <laughs> because I just don't think that I think we should strive to pursue methods of change which render them irrelevant Fair enough. like that as diplomatically as possible I would just say fine you think the climate change is a hoax mm -hmm. but what about all those other environmental issues I mentioned from the nasty nine what about deforestation and waste ocean plastic biodiversity loss and since I think there hasn't been such a concentrated effort by fossil fuel companies and governments and political parties and media corporations to 
misinform people with regards to those topics, they would be much more likely to listen. Mm -hmm. And also, as you said, it's just visual when you see all the trees going down or when you see like the garbage patch. And, yeah. you know, when you hear about, oh, species are really being reduced, mm -hmm. that can't be good. Yeah. So it's from that kind of aesthetic point of view that maybe their morality is um, is informed. And even if mm -hmm. they, you know, let's say they, let's hear about, if they hear about the land use, oh, that's inefficient, mm -hmm. I'm going to stop eating meat. Yeah. You know, methods like this, they would eventually reduce their footprint and perhaps start voting green for other reasons. Mm -hmm. That's very optimistic. Yeah, I think we want everybody to be very well-rounded in their thinking surrounding climate change. But it's like, if you get someone in on the basis of they don't like how the pulp mill smells. Yeah, exactly. Then then they're, they're in at least. Even if they didn't believe in climate change, they're like, oh, I hate that smell. They're in. It's, it's, it's kind of all that matters. It's, it's purely aesthetics. Yeah. No one's going to say, oh, the tar sands. Those are beautiful. <sighs> love them. Love them. Love Took the, my love vacation to the tar sands, actually. <laughs> it was gorgeous. Yeah, so just let the... I say go shallow with them because most, mm -hmm. most often they don't want to engage on anything deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And my third point to them would be, well, what's the harm in polluting less? What's the mm. danger? It's not like, oh, but if we stop polluting, this will happen. Like well, they would say the economy would crash. But then you would say lives are going to crash if we don't. So No, you wouldn't say the lives. They don't care about the lives. But I think, <laughs> I think you, can, you can easily point towards a green economy and all this yeah. other stuff and how it would be better for you in the long run okay so that's kind of a, a myth busting from someone who's on the other side of the climate change aisle mm -hmm. one that i've been seeing a lot from people who are within the climate change movement is individuals can't do anything let's mm -hmm. stop putting the blame on individuals yeah and my myth busting for that would be such a cynical view of life of the individual of mm -hmm. ourselves as you know it, it effectively reduces us just to a voter or a consumer and I don't think that's correct because I have this perhaps very, very uncommon view among adults, which is that you can do anything. Yeah. Like you can really do anything you put your mind to and you have agency. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's evidenced all around us because when people say individuals can't do anything, we need to rely on government or corporations, government or corporations to change. And these supposedly all powerful, like malevolent institutions just spring up out of nowhere. They do, mm -hmm. I feel like there's this uh, dissonance where people don't realize that these institutions are just groups of people. Mm -hmm. Like they're just individuals. Yeah. And even to get more personal, like the one person can make a change. This was like pretty much the only myth bust that I had. But it's, there's several people in the last like 50 years who have just taken it upon themselves to create forests, <laughs> just single handedly planting 550 acres of trees. Yeah. And it's like, what do you mean? They just said, I'm going to work basically what these people did. There's a couple of them. One of them, he worked for his career, like until he was like 50 or 60, saving money. Then he went back to his childhood home, used all that money just to plant trees. He did this really interesting technique of like making a biodiverse forest. He didn't just monoculture it. Mm -hmm. He remembered how it was when he was a kid, basically. And he said he planted them, he tracked them, like would plant them in ways that they would support each other. And he just made a forest. And the same thing happened. There was this island off the coast of India. So like it was, it's a part of India. And the, it was basically eroding away. Like the island was just going to disappear in a few years because that's how quick the erosion was happening. 
and the government said, we're going to plant trees on this island. But before they could do it, this one guy just did it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and these people aren't all rich. They're just like pretty standard, like middle class. But they just said, I'm going to make a forest. You can. You can do yeah. anything. You can become president. Yeah. I really, I really believe that. And it's this kind of false dichotomy of individual versus corporate responsibility where it's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, what you think all we have to do is change our light bulbs and that's going to do anything. Mm -hmm. No, make your life more than the light bulbs. Yeah. You can, that's something that I feel is lost on people for some reason. I understand if people are adults with careers and family and mm -hmm. they don't have much time, but I hear a lot of young people our age in yeah. privileged or even more privileged positions than us, which is saying something mm -hmm. with regards to education and class saying, oh, we can't do anything. It's up to governments and yeah. corporations. And I think it's a, it's a very deliberate trivialization of individual agency. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes me sad, but it's, it's, a, it's a much wider issue than just this, this climate one. Yeah. But yeah, that cynicism yeah. bothers me a lot. And just to follow it down its natural conclusion when it comes to, okay, let's say individuals aren't supposed to do anything and corporations should. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, why would corporations all become green? Because, like, everyone's buying Nesquik. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Everyone loves Frosted Flakes and Nestle. Everyone just, everyone buys that stuff. Yeah. So, and that's the individual decision. Yeah. And it's often chalked up to, well, you can't afford healthy food or you can't afford the local food. Yeah. And it's like, there's obviously disparities among people of, like, who actually can't. But there's those of us who just choose not to, to spend the money elsewhere or to, yeah, basically just feed our own desires of like, well, I'm going to save money on my food by buying the cheap stuff so I can spend the money on my new bike or my new laptop or what have you. But it's like you have to make sacrifices in the luxuries of like you don't need the new laptop, therefore you can buy the good food because you need food. Like you will spend money on food, so you might as well buy the good stuff, sacrifice elsewhere instead of sacrificing in this essential area, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you're talking about lifestyle decisions, yeah. purchases, diet, things like that. Yeah. I definitely think people can clean that up, but I wouldn't even focus on that. I would just say no. invest in green energy. And if you don't yeah. have any money, make money or like get on the yeah. board of Shell or something. Like mm -hmm. infiltrate, start a company, mm -hmm. join a company. You, there, there's just a lot of things you can do. Start a vlog. Yeah. You know, like you can do a lot of, and people might say, um, well, that's not going to do anything. If, if you go in with that mindset, it definitely won't. Mm -hmm. I also don't like this idea that we should be um, everyone begging governments to do things. Mm -hmm. I recently watched a clip of Greta Thunberg at another meeting of the minds yeah. of the governments. I don't know if you saw that. No. And she was basically um, dismissing the way that they kept making false promises. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if you're a government, why would they do anything? Because people obviously don't care that much. People keep mm -hmm. voting in really kind of milquetoast liberal organizations that won't do anything. And still mm -hmm. a big percent of the population just votes for conservative parties that don't even believe in it or don't even mm -hmm. acknowledge climate change. So that's why I don't really like politics so much, like putting our hopes on government's regulations and yeah. things like that. And that's also why I think that the real angst and ire that Greta and most people are feeling is towards the general population. Like that's who people mm -hmm. are really angry about is, or angry at is ourselves because yeah. we let this happen and continue to. Mm -hmm. But my solution is, as I mentioned earlier, to not pin our hopes 
on any kind of change that requires a majority of people to vote either with their wallets or mm -hmm. on the ballot environmentally because yeah. they won't and also because if that by a miracle happened in four years it would just all be reversed mm -hmm. that's kind of the cynicism that i feel with regards to politics right now yeah the image that i'm getting in my head is say you're like a really passionate climate activist in your community yes and there's you like just an individual will say then there's everyone else and then there's the corporations and the the government up top and those are small little circles there's the big circle and there's you just like the one dot at the bottom and i'm picturing you kind of like pulling people downwards mm -hmm. instead of them always thinking upwards if this makes any sense but you're pulling them down and then you guys are going to create this bubble which is bigger than the government and the corporations and you're still not going to be the size of the the main bubble but you're going to be this like grassroots organization which has these local farms and provides food for each other, co-ops. Right, just doing it basically. Yeah, just like, yeah, no one can stop you if you make your bubble bigger than the top bubbles. Acting as if the world is how it should already be. Yeah. And not acting as if it's impossible. Yeah. Is how these things become more, more common. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of operating with outside of the system, like not an economic system, not a political system, just like a grassroots organization institution yeah one example i had on this just example of political parties versus people working outside political parties is tesla the company mm -hmm. and i just had this little thought experiment where i weighed up their environmental impact versus that of the green party mm -hmm. meaning all the green parties in every country ever mm -hmm. like since their inception and it's not even close the impact yeah like tesla's just done a lot more for a green future by yeah. innovating and in battery technology and things like that for current emissions by reducing obviously those of car mm -hmm. and also most importantly by energizing the public with regards to environmentalism mm -hmm. like before tesla no one could mention any environmentally minded people yeah. let alone products corporations mm -hmm. i mean it's made it a luxury symbol yeah which is i mean you can debate whether that's uh good in the long term but in the short term i would say it is a pretty good thing mm -hmm. and it, it's just like that's effective and that's pragmatic i'm not speaking ideally or ideologically because this is a kind of uh green capitalism which a lot of people would say is unsustainable but yeah. in the short term which things need to be mm -hmm. you know short term worked at politics is uh is not the way because there's still a lot of 60, 70, 80 year olds who vote mm -hmm. and they won't leave the voting population for a while. Yes. Yeah. I, you were saying earlier about just like, we think that everyone's environmentally minded, that everyone would vote for Bernie, basically. Yeah, I don't think that. But okay, this is what I, even I was thinking this and saying this this morning is like, but everyone knows, everyone is aware and everyone wants change, but it's like, the everyone in this situation is like the 300 people that I follow on Instagram. It's an echo chamber. Yeah. We don't interact enough with rural conservative voters, essentially. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I'm not saying that you need to, but it's just like you need to remember that those 300 people that you see, those three different news sources that you intake from aren't everybody. Yeah. Even though it feels like it because it is millions of people. Mm. But it's like there's 8 billion people. 
And also, this kind of just relates to the one myth that I was thinking of, of just like, that there's a perfect solution, that there is a solution, basically, that like, we just haven't uncovered yet, basically. You know what I mean? There's, there isn't just like one solution. It's like, we need to just work at it from different angles, chip away at it. Yeah. I'm not then, saying that we ditch politics yeah. and, and stop pushing whatever remotely leftist party has some semblance of power mm-hmm. further left environmentally. I'm not but saying... we need to attack it from different angles. Yeah. Like, that's one angle you can kind of gnaw away at it, but it's not going to just smash the... No, because like I said, there's a lot of old people who don't yeah. believe in it. What I like about corporations, the reason I mentioned Tesla is that they don't need a majority of people to like them to have an impact. Mm-hmm. Whereas a Green Party does. Yeah. They can just have, let's say, 20% of the population likes Tesla. Yeah. Or 2% or 0.2%. Mm-hmm. That that makes more of an impact than the same amount of people voting green, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And, uh, and also, like I said, Tesla's market share won't be threatened every four years by arbitrary forces or misinformation or bots online, which is yeah. the case with politics. There also just like won't be tyranny from corporations. Well, that's... Not, uh, I know that was phrased poorly, but just like if Tesla wants to mandate that every element in its car is sourced sustainably, there's not going to be like, like maybe some people don't like that who are in the company, they can leave. You can't leave your society if like the government mandated that everything you purchased had to be. So you mean Tesla's higher ups can be authoritarian? Yes. Yeah, I agree. And they can make change quicker, therefore, than governments can. That's what I meant. Less bureaucracy, I suppose, is what I was trying to get at, not saying companies can't be tyrannical because they can obviously amazon is a good example (laughs) i suppose this relates really well to the myths of just like a lot of people will say well the climate changes like far before industrialization things changed there'd be ecosystem collapse extinctions look at the dinosaurs basically the way that the earth is classified in ages they're called epochs they're usually like hundreds of thousands of years, hundreds of millions of years sometimes. And then it's just like what we're living in is the Holocene era, which is like humans. But then there's this little window of the last like, what is it? It's like about 10,000 years. Okay. And it's like within that 10,000 year window, we have created a new epoch. And that's just not normal. Like, it's not how the Earth would naturally change, like, the chemicals in the atmosphere, volcanic eruptions would change the climate throughout the last few billion years. But in the last 10,000, we've somehow managed to make such an impact on the soil, like, literally the Earth's crust with our activities, that there's a new epoch, basically, that has universally accepted as existing. We've, like, launched a planet, like, you know how big the earth is? Yep. We've thrown it off balance to the point of there being something new that will remain here far after, even if all the humans died off this year and then re-sprouted in like a billion years, you would they would know that we messed it up. I don't know how to describe it besides that. Rather dramatic, yeah. rather impressive. <laughs> so just use that. Just say climate change has always happened, but we have made it happen this time. There's an there's an epoch named after us, the Anthropocene. I think what you have to understand, I mean, you're kind of addressing like an imaginary opponent. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I would just say, don't bother. Mm-hmm. Because can, 
if you said that to anyone who was, let's say, voting Republican, do you think they'd yeah. be like, oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, it's called the advocacy? Oh. You know, like, they would, there's such um, institutionalized skepticism at this mm-hmm. point that anything you say, if it's signed off by a majority of scientists, governments, organizations, if it looks official in a report, mm-hmm. it's going to be um, tossed aside. By yeah. the, by a, it's a very slim minority in the grand scheme. So I just say, mm-hmm. ignore them. They take up way too much of people's brain space and perhaps, also media time for, for what they are. Perhaps we're addressing the climate denier in all of us. The part of us who thinks, well, maybe I could just live my cozy life and just kind of, like, I'll die in 80 years. It's not going to be that, like, you know what I mean? No. The selfish, <laughs> the selfish part of us that kind of thinks, well, I could just buy this milk and drink all this 4% chocolate milk. But then you have to say, but what about the kids who I've never met who live on these islands who are just not going to have a home? Or what about three generations from now when there just isn't water to play in and water is strictly used as a resource for survival? You have to just think outside of yourself. The Anthropocene. Mm-hmm. The human-induced climate scene. Yes, some um, would call it. Some, some, would call it, uh, yeah. <laughs> some being one. Yes. So some causes <laughs> of climate change. Yes. Everyone could just research this. So mm-hmm. I just decided to kind of group it into more cerebral buckets. Hmm. Three. So the first that came to mind for me is infrastructure slash geography. Things have been built in a really bad way. Mm-hmm. A really bad transportation way mm-hmm. everything's so far away and it all requires highways to get to at least in north america and in many other parts of the world yeah and also in a building way mm-hmm. buildings are very inefficient yes i mean mostly built using unsustainable materials as well but inefficient that's probably the most pressing problem mm-hmm. and also services the way things are doesn't work very well mm-hmm. as in we grow a lot of food here, mm-hmm. but we don't eat any of it here. We send it all far away and we have to import that same food because we've sent all ours away. I'm talking mm-hmm. about things like that. Services don't make sense. Yes, they make sense perhaps. Economically. Economically, but just logically or simply. like <laughs> Intuitively. Intuitively. That's the word I was looking for. I, I, yeah, and you just, you said the food thing. It's like 6.7% of greenhouse gas emissions are just from food waste. <laughs> like, there's people starving, but a chunk of our emissions are just from the waste of our food. And yeah. as you said, like, super early on, just, like, that much of our land is just used to make food for the animals that we're going to eat instead of just eating the food ourselves. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. The other two buckets were lifestyle, as much as people want to try and minimize its impact. Mm -hmm. It's an impact and it also drives corporate processes, as I mentioned. I mean, a good example of that is vegans, Mm -hmm. the vegan army, hashtag vegan army, if that's a thing. Yeah. Like the intersection of vegans and BTS fans. (laughs) They have, uh, they've done a lot to put meat substitutes on the shelves Mm -hmm. and they've probably taken a lot of meat out of that food waste, but Mm -hmm. 6.7% that you just mentioned. Yeah. And also perhaps a few chickens off the farms. Mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Yeah. So when people argue that consumers don't impact corporations, I think that's so 
is so obviously wrong that it's mm -hmm. uh, I have a hard time thinking that anyone who's making that argument is doing it in good faith. And the last kind of bucket is industrial processes. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the type of stuff that people think, well, the average Joe has no impact on mining or extraction or industrial fertilizer yeah. production, which perhaps they would have a minor point on that. That, yeah. that is more up to governments, no doubt. Yeah, where do you, would you put like energy production in those three buckets? The last one? Yeah, well, the first one, services. Services is kind of just how the world works. Yeah. That's what I'm calling it. Yeah. It's a bit of a catch-all. Like, I feel like one of the most frustrating or, like, hang-up points is, like, I really can't make my own energy, but you really do need it to do things, like, to exist in this society. You can't... Uh, not many people go off the grid. And, like, if everyone did, it wouldn't be sustainable because of other issues. But it's just, like, you have to rely on the government to just subsidize or clean up the grid. Other contributors that I had listed like to make up the 100% of greenhouse gas emissions okay. are, they basically always fit into your buckets, but you buildings buildings is 6.4%. So like concrete production, nuts for the environment, very yeah. bad. Some people listening, you know, when you have like family members who you like, you're not really close with, but then you like find out what they're doing and you're like, oh, that's what they do for a job. It's like, oh, they work in film or like whatever. I have this cousin who works for this company, like he helped them get it off the ground and it's called Carbon Cure and they take recycled carbon, I don't know what that means, and put it into concrete and then it's just, it's there. That's good. I was like, that's so cool. They're it's just... kind of like, this is, a, this is a good analogy, recently we've been trying to decrease our meat intake, mm -hmm. so we've been cutting it with lentils to make it go further. Yeah. It's like we're kind of we're trying to decrease our, decrease our cement use, so cuts it with carbon. Yeah. <laughs> But that's just so cool. It's like carbon's obviously the biggest issue, and then we're just fixing another issue at the same time. I don't know. Pretty cool. Buildings, food waste, energy, transportation, industry, and agriculture is like the biggest one. So agriculture and land use just like huge impact on the climate, and so does energy production, and that includes oil extraction, burning of fossil fuels and biofuels as well. We're really just, you can't be carbon neutral, like you're a human, you breathe air, and you exhale carbon, but it's just we've created such huge institutions of just emitting these gases which are toxic to us, and we have always done that since humans have been created or like have existed, we have always created these toxic gases which would kill us if right. they were in high enough concentrations, but the earth was kind enough to just... Like, well, I think it's the fact that in the last 200 years, our populations increased eightfold mm -hmm. with a similar increase towards emphasis on efficiency and expansion. Yeah. Which hasn't worked very well. So there's all of these different things which are contributing to greenhouse gas emissions, which are warming the planet and changing the climate. And they all come from the processes which support our daily life. Yes. Right? And it's scary to think about trying to find a new way to live which doesn't create these because it just would require changes in every single aspect of our existence. Right. We so where do, we, where do we do that? That's a, that's a good way to, <laughs> that's a good segue. How do we do that? Yeah. Um, we're going to close the episode by talking about all the different solutions. Yeah. But just before we do that, I want to sneak in a tiny little piece of negativity, which is I was looking into <laughs> what's the worst case scenario? Okay. 
because I want to talk a little bit personally now. When we started the podcast two years ago, perhaps naively, I thought that our goal was to help try and stop climate change. Yes. It's no longer the goal because I don't think climate change uh, can be stopped. Mm-hmm. Or Like the climate has changed. Yeah, should I say, I don't think it has been stopped and mm-hmm. I don't think it will be stopped for a while yeah. or slowed down or anything like that. Do you, do you agree? Was that your goal going into the environmental podcast? That was my goal going into my adult life. Right. Was to, it was intentionally to stop climate change. Yeah. And I only have optimistically 80 years left on earth. <laughs> and I don't think I can stop climate change, but I know I can and mitigating the impacts. Yes. That's my goal. Yeah. <laughs> so I looked into all these different models for worst case scenarios, which are basically projections. As I said, I, I don't like projections, but I like them when they're really, really bad. So I can okay. know like, oh, well, even if it's as bad as it can get, it's only this bad. Yeah. So basically, it was called like RCP 8.5, which is the representative concentration pathways. And that's kind of just the name for this, this model, which essentially means business as usual. Mm-hmm. It was like a scientific name like that. So the worst case scenario is that the equator areas on the Earth just become completely unlivable. Mm-hmm. Like let's say if you look at that Earth, like with the equa- with the equator, the horizontal line in the middle, mm-hmm. it's the middle third. Okay. Just you can't live there basically. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of migration of animals as well as people, a lot of war, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. a lot of refugees. Yeah. A lot of squabbling over water. Mm-hmm. Extreme weather events, as I mentioned, a lot yeah. of droughts, a lot of storms. And a lot of people die, a lot of poor people especially. Mm-hmm. And obviously a lot of animals go extinct as well. Mm-hmm. But what I was thinking for all the people, especially our age, who are so anxious, suffering with the weight of collapse that we've been born into, mm-hmm. eco-anxiety is the term for it. Yeah. I mean, look at the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. There was also a lot of war, a lot of a lot of people died, primarily poor people, mm-hmm. which is not to say it's a good thing, but no. it's to say that these are things that every generation has had to deal with, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. This might be a slightly higher level. Yeah. But the earth will survive, no doubt. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that humans will survive because a lot of rich people, you know, very uh, self-interested rich people mm-hmm. will have the means to do so. Yeah. So that's kind of in my like it sounds so negative, but I'm honestly positive about that. Yeah. So like it's not that if we fail, humans go extinct or mm-hmm. the earth dies. Yeah. That's uh those are both wrong. Yeah. Um thank you for that. Little <laughs> drop of negativity. No, I think that's no. positivity. No, I know, I know. <laughs> that's the the vision, the like image that Wakes me up in the morning and keeps me up at night, you could say. But let me put it like this. After all this, there's almost certainly to be a more of a degrown society, a more mm-hmm. emphasis on sustainability. And even before all that, because things don't happen automatically, yeah, there's much more of a, like, that's the worst case scenario, which mm-hmm. is certainly not going to happen because technology is already changing from yeah. when I first started saying that. Yes. Um, and... There's been such, uh, in the last two years since, since we've been doing this, there's been such a creeping attitude change about sustainability among young people mm-hmm. who are the roots of culture. They're not the whole culture, as we mentioned. There's a lot of people who just don't go on the internet, but young mm-hmm. people are like the bulk of culture. 
Yeah. And now it's cool to wear, it's cool to thrift, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's cool to wear patched clothes. Mm -hmm. It's cool to be vegan. Yeah. It's cool to be minimalist. Yeah. And it's cool to be politically engaged, I would say, to an extent. Mm -hmm. So most of those are functions of those things being economically better for young people mm -hmm. people like cheap things so they like to thrift i think that that's a big yeah. part of it like if thrifting was more expensive mm -hmm. than buying new no one would do it yeah you know what i'm trying to say like things are things are eyes are turning towards oh how can we live cheaper and also more environmentally yeah which is a good thing i think over the last couple of years if the pandemic hadn't existed like if it never existed we would be in not a hugely better place, but even a marginally better place in terms of progress on climate change. Well, yeah, people wouldn't have been distracted for one thing. Yeah. And I think it's going to take a little longer than it would have originally, but it's like unfortunate because the climate didn't stop changing. The economy didn't stop. So it's like we have just regressed. But... Well, I feel like it's taken the air out of the protests a little bit. Like, the, yeah. the, let's say the student strikes... Mm -hmm. I feel like that's uh, they've had the wind knocked out of them a little bit because mm -hmm. everyone's so distracted by social justice or COVID yeah. and also being economically crippled by the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> which is rough. So some solutions. I thought of three. Okay. Which are kind of just not my solutions as in this is what I propose, but just three that which are proposed, which mm -hmm. I thought would be fun to discuss. So the first one is depopulation. Okay. So having fewer people and an obvious means of doing this long term is empowering women mm -hmm. and educating people around the world. Yeah. Which is just good. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the earth's carrying capacity? For instance, like, that's a good question, I think. I think it's like, it's just so hard. I think like we're fine up until like, I'd say like 10 million. Really? 10 billion. I don't think, I don't think 10 billion is a, I mean, here's the thing. I, it's kind of a question of what kind of lifestyle, lifestyle do we want the billions of people to have? Mm -hmm. If everyone was living very meager and I would say kind of spiritually unfulfilling lifestyle in an mm -hmm. apartment shoebox, mm -hmm. eating like... Mush. Eating mush. Yeah. I'm sure we could do a lot of billions. Yeah. But is that a... Is that something we want to aim to, aim towards? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So I think that's kind of a something people need to keep in mind. And I also want to talk a little bit about like the population inequality with regards to carbon footprint. Because mm -hmm. I read this crazy stat. I don't remember exactly it, but it was something like a middle-class American suburban home uses as much electricity in a day as a village in like yeah. 15 countries. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's... That can't continue. Yeah. That shouldn't happen. And so the next solution is degrowth, otherwise known as dark green environmentalism, which essentially means reduce consumption, decentralize supply lines as much as possible, more traditional methods of farming, mm -hmm. sustainable use of materials, so like minimalism and crafting and fixing and recycling, and kind of reverting to some pre-industrial habits such as no cars yeah shopping local things like that yeah it's basically saying screw gdp and focusing on wellness on well-being because we've forgotten about well-being perhaps 
because I feel like there's a like a decently small percentage of people alive today who have the well-being that they should considering the resources that we have access to. Good point, yeah. Because it's like there's a lot of people living in extreme poverty. Then there's a lot of people living in this affluence of just like suffering from asthma, from different heart conditions and so on, and mental health epidemics. Yeah. So that's what degrowth basically says is you have, like, we we can do it. To me, degrowth is all about slowing down the acceleration of things like mass media has gotten too yeah. much. Uh, you know, mentally, it's too much of a burden. Aesthetically, to me, it's just very obvious which things are good for you and which things are bad for you. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens to be that most of the things which are legitimately good for you are pretty environmentally friendly as well. That's yeah. how I see it anyway. Yeah. The third solution I wanted to mention is kind of like the opposite to degrowth in a way, which is eco-modernism, otherwise it's known as bright green environmentalism, which I guess can is also otherwise known as green capitalism. And mm -hmm. this is essentially defined as technological optimism. Innovation will save us. Mm -hmm. So this is all about electric cars and new renewable energies, new efficiency, carbon capture, new batteries, things like this, like Tesla. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about this? It's so hard because we're like impatient, sort of. It's like if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. But it's like we've only been alive for 20 years. And like the way humans function is just on such a, a bigger scale than that, I suppose. It's just like I don't like it because I think it will, like with degrowth and like dark green environmentalism, I think there'll be a lot more social justice, a lot more equity. But with this one, there's not as much equity. In no, it. It, it obviously doesn't solve any of the systemic class issues, which a lot of people say are inherently tied to the exploitation of the environment. I yeah. don't think that's an inherent. And I think in the short term, technology, of course, has a huge role to play, yeah. as well as reduced consumption. I'm yeah. kind of like middle green environmentalism i think you take the best of both degrowth and eco-modernism and and that's what the world should be aiming for yeah your crayola green crayola green yeah anything else you wanted to mention i've found the most productive thing to do when thinking about climate change is learning more about the solution that interests you i used to focus a lot of my energy on learning about the issues how it happens the mechanisms which enable it the hurt that will be caused, like the projections and stuff. I used to focus a lot on that for years. But then I made the decision, like, if I want to help, I need to pick a solution and just kind of run with it. Mm. As I said earlier, no solution's perfect. Like degrowth isn't perfect, but that's the solution I chose to run with. And I find it's much more empowering. I can read about it for hours, think about it, learn about it, conceptualize additions to it even and not be burnt out the way I used to when I was just trying to think very like sciencey about it. Yeah, it just makes you less cynical when you're just thinking about solutions because like it's good to have a basis in the issues. Yeah. That's where the solutions come from of, of like fixing the issues. But like yeah, that's just one thing I kind of want to add as we finish this episode of just like that's one of the best solutions I've found on a personal level level to avoid ego and anxiety. Focus on the solutions, not the issues. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, what's the point of focusing on the issues for one thing? It's not going to make them go away. 
there's so much negativity in activism. Um, mm -hmm. There's so much of a, I would say, a, a spirit of destruction. We want to tear down all these exploitative mm -hmm. institutions. I think it's much more productive, better for humanity, better for the world, better for the individual by far to focus on building than destroying. Yeah. I just read this news article a couple of days ago. This, it was like, oh, studies show that individuals who paid attention to the news during the pandemic were this much less happy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, obviously. Yeah. And the bottom line is, like, this sounds so maybe irresponsible to say, but what was the point in focusing on the news during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. Unless you're a doctor. Yeah. Like, you, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We, we're all here. It's this strange confusion in our brains. Like, obviously, mental health is, like, all-time low. And it's because we feel guilty when we don't pay attention because we're like, people are dying. I need to know. I need to empathize with them. But it's like, empathy is important. It's one of the most crucial parts of human existence. If you had no empathy, you wouldn't care to make the change. But there's like a line of when the empathy becomes destructive to you and you're hurting yourself, basically. And you're just giving too much of your energy to these thoughts instead of your energy to the solutions. And I feel like that's some kind of a mechanism that came with social media of like tricking us into thinking that we need to just know everything about everything instead of just saying there's just no balance on social media and like in media in general of like positive inspiring stories. Like we, we need a balance of inspiration and like from a negative and a positive source. Like, you can be inspired by learning about an island which is suffering from climate change. But you also need inspiration from like, here are some people working on a solution in your community. You can be engaged with them. Well said. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>